to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. So <laughs> here we are dealing with the second half of the pilot episode. Hopefully it's just two halves. It might be thirds. No, I we think, don't know. I think we, yeah. I think, I think we'll, you're in. I think, I think we we'll manage this in, yeah. a, in an hour. Yeah. So um, before we get started, I wanted to bring well, up something that, that came up. Between in, takes, yes. In, well, yeah, in between uh, the first and second half of this episode, uh, or of, of this, the pilot episode. We threw around the term Lynchian. Aiden did well, more than I, I do, did. Well, I do, yeah. And, and, I, and sometimes I was not using it properly. Like the, sometimes there's there's just well, shots that are typical of Lynch, yes. which aren't really Lynchian because Lynchian is based on it's ha- it has its, its own definition. It's yeah. one of those things that it's it's you know it when you see it. It's like pornography, right? Um, uh, David Foster Wallace wrote uh, yes, an what, essay. What's it called? The essay is called "What Lynchian Means and Why It's Important." No. <laughs> That's just <laughs> That's the. That's not uh, it. Uh, must be somewhere else. Yeah, but anyway, he wrote um, an academic definition of Lynchian might be that the term refers to a particular kind of irony where the very macabre and the very mundane combine in such a way as to reveal the former's perpetual containment within the latter. So he goes on to describe some some instances that that might be be Lynchian. Lynchian yeah. He says that Ted Bundy wasn't particularly Lynchian, but good old Jeffrey Dahmer, with his victim's various anatomies neatly separated and stored in his fridge alongside his chocolate milk and shed spread, was thoroughly Lynchian. And I think that's a really great way of describing it because there's there's just this sense of Of, there's something horrific has happened. But he's got these body parts next to the next to the milk in the fridge, yeah. and it's just next very to the, which would be used for the Cheerios absolutely. that everybody eats, right? So it's it's yeah. it's that's a great way of thinking about what Lynchian means. Yeah. And of course, you could ask David Lynch this, and he would deny it because he has famously uh, rebuked or really? refused any any attempts at quantifying or qualifying or defining or analyzing his own works yeah he doesn't well, he doesn't like to i mean no he, he just a lot of, of times he just says it doesn't mean anything yeah which is fine yeah. like that's absolutely fine well i think that's like that's a larger question of authorship and 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 interpretation that absolutely. we're not going to get too no, much into because here but it's, you know it's it's we but but we're coming to this with that term lynchian and that yeah, definition mind, yeah. of that term which i think most people would probably agree with because yeah. i think everybody who's a fan of David Lynch has read David Foster Wallace's say, analysis yeah. of yeah. David Lynch, specifically his analysis of the film uh, Lost Highway. Lost Highway, which, which, well, yeah, he was on set yeah. when they were filming it, and he has some great comments. It's a really great essay. You, you should look it up. Definitely. Yeah, if you haven't read it, you definitely should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that def- definition does definitely work, and it definitely applies to a lot of Twin Peaks. There's there is that An appearance and of reality the- of. Of you know, just under the surface, there's something evil, and it's it's and the very very macabre happening in the very very mundane, well, which yeah. is the murder of Laura Palmer, this horrific murder that happens in this town where you could imagine you've probably driven through towns like this, or yeah. you've you've lived in towns like this, yeah. or you've seen them on TV. Well, even that even that first scene of of finding uh, Laura Palmer or the the call, like Lucy's mundane kind of yeah. explanation of which this thing, phone of which phone to. it is. And then the phone call itself has this horrible news of a yeah, death. Exactly. And it's, so that's a yeah. very Lynchian touch. And yeah. but it's it's again it's one of those things like you know it when you see it. We'll try and bring up as many of those moments as we can. Yeah, uh, and I'll try and do a better job of distinguishing well, just, between that and individual shots. Yeah, it's stuff. easy. Yeah. It's easy to slip into the term Lynchian to, when you're describing a, an actual physical director, yeah. like the shot that the director yeah. has, has decided chosen. on. Yeah, yeah. But so. 
I think that'll become less problematic as we go on, and, and there are fewer episodes directed yeah. by David Lynch. By David Lynch, and we'll definitely be talking about Yes. We'll specify those when they come up. So, speaking of Lynchian, we have the uh, the introduction of our, our hero, Agent Cooper. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th, entering the town of Twin Peaks. The hero? Well, this hero. is, okay, so here's yeah. something interesting, because I, I was, I was in doing some research here, some people have said that, you know, Sheriff Truman acts as a hero figure, and he's much more of a a typical hero figure in the sense that he's this... Stoic he's a Yeah, laconic cow- yeah. yeah, cowboy. He wears a cowboy, cowboy hat, hat, literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just, he has that presence. Yeah. People listen to him. He has authority. He has authority, yeah. And then you get an FBI agent who typically when you watch... You know, you think of other movies like Die Hard. The FBI isn't treated with a lot yeah, of respect. Yeah. And, and it's the local law enforcement is Who always... Who knows the real yes, deal. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that, that is subverted here, as we'll talk about, when, when local law enforcement meets federal law enforcement. But for starters, we have this... And I'm, I'm going to call him the hero because he is what sets the whole thing into motion. Well, he's the one who brings the previous knowledge of the murder, exactly. of other murders, and and the specialized knowledge of what's been happening. And, and his own his own skills special, yeah, and, his yeah. skills and the things that he brings to it are what eventually uh, solve the solve murder. the murder. Yeah. So, so he is the driving force behind behind this investigation, and he's been called in. It's eleven thirty a.m. Yes, and he's been called in uh, because Ronette, in her in her days has wandered over the state line and thus has taken this out of the realm of simple, it's not a local matter anymore because she's crossed state line, the FBI are involved. Which begs the question, where is he coming from? You find out in later episodes that he's based based in in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. There's definitely not enough time at 11.30 a.m. for him to have flown from Philly. So is it possible he was already in the inland northwest or in Seattle? It's never really... I think it's just a convenient... They wanted to have him there. But I do think that uh, things don't happen, you know, coincidentally. There's a purpose for it. And and maybe it is just to disorient. And and I don't know how many other people pick up on, on these things. I'm kind of, like I said, I, I yeah, alphabetized my, yeah. my DVD collection. I'm a little anal retentive. So I noticed that 1130 is not really that far removed from the discovery of the body and definitely not that far removed from, from Ronette's. The appearance, yeah. Like how, so, yeah, like she showed up maybe nine o'clock. Like there's no way he'd yeah, fly there so, in two and a half hours. So right? it's it's disorienting. It's yeah. it's time-wise. Time is a fluid thing. And yeah. we'll, that comes into play much well, later yeah, as well. Yeah. So definitely. it's, it's... Uh, I mean, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because he's here now, and yes. he's, he's. Well, do you want to talk about his introduction? Absolutely, like, yeah, because course, this is. Could talk all day. I could. Okay, so I love Agent Cooper. And she loves Kyle McLaughlin. I love <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin. I think he is. The bee's he is, knees. He is the bee's knees, and that is a phrase that I think Agent Cooper, Cooper would, would use, use yeah. very, very frequently. Yeah. Um, I just think he's a very handsome man, and he's very easy to look at. And and he's a great actor. I he think is, he's, he's a great a actor. actor. And he does this. He does, well, he does this role the very role perfectly. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. it's Nobody kind of the role he was him. born to play. Yeah. And I've heard it said that that and I don't know. I've heard it from both that David Lynch wrote Dale Cooper as an extension of himself. But I've also read that Kyle MacLachlan kind of um, turned the role into him. into David Lynch. Like he adopted a lot of the mannerisms and ways of speaking and stuff. That thumbs up. The thumbs up absolutely <laughs> is something that yeah. is is very. Uh, reminiscent of David Lynch himself. Yeah. Who does and make they appearances would know. Yes, he does on, yeah. later on. But yeah. but yeah, Kyle and David are, are old chums. They've they did, they did Dune, Dune together. together. They did Blue, Blue Velvet. Velvet. Yeah. So they've they've been friends now for 
you know, at this point, six or seven, seven years. years. And and did, like Kyle McLaughlin, like we were saying in the introduction, it's really, Dune was his first major role. Yeah. I don't even know if he acted much more. I don't think <laughs> I don't so. know his background. I don't, like, I don't think it, it was but, the first major role and it was a big role. And it, even if the movie wasn't very good, yeah. it was still a, a, a huge. We have to watch that still. Yes, we'll get there and we'll come back and do a Dune episode. I've <laughs> seen the movie. You have Yeah, but movie. I read the, you book. read the book. So now we, you should read the book. the book and I should watch the movie. Yes. And we can talk. But, but anyways, anyways, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so we have this introduction <laughs> of this character who is the, the cipher for the, the writer, the director. Um, he's also kind of a link back to the character. And I love that Kyle uh, has bought into this himself, that he considers Dale Cooper to be a grown-up version of his character in Blue Velvet, Jeffrey Beaumont. Yeah. Which, if you've seen both of those movies, you can totally, totally see, see yeah. how Jeffrey Beaumont grew up to become Dale Cooper. Well, he's a little funnier as Dale Cooper. Like, sure, Dale and, Cooper has yeah. an innate sense of humor that he's that just he's Jeffrey a stylized Jeffrey Beaumont. Like yeah. he's, he's you know yeah you know, the DNA is there for sure. Absolutely, like, you can definitely see it. Um, but so the he's introduced. I I just like the shot. It's him driving. It's the from camera's the on the passenger seat, seat yeah, looking, just looking up, up at him. And it's he's talking into his microphone and talking and to Diane. <laughs> and nobody knows who Diane is. It's presumably she is his assistant, assistant back at the or, office or something. Yeah, something back in Philadelphia or wherever. Wherever it is. But he he makes these tapes, and he's always making these tapes to Diane, and you never see her throughout. But she is any real. I mean, she sends him things. We think yeah. he's she's real. Yeah. It's we never really it's clear. Never you hope it's real because otherwise he's he's a crazy man. Yeah. But but anyway, he's talking to Diane and he he's describing his trip up. He says he's entering the town of Twin Peaks. He's talking about who he's going to be going to see, where he's, he's running out of gas. He's going to fill up and he, he describes what his lunch was. was. And you find out that this is the first introduction to Dale Cooper's appetite, which yeah. I think is fascinating because he eats so much. Yeah. And he doesn't look like he eats a lot. So either he has a massive appetite or uh, he's yeah, an high alien. Metabolism or something. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Or but, sorry, did I say appetite? Yeah, you said I said appetite. metabolism. Oh, no, I, is what we, I meant. We knew uh, Yeah, so uh, he describes the cherry pie at the lamplighter inn. He tells her how much it was. Well, it's he's going to invoice that. So that's of fine. course. Yeah. But it's it's a very, it's again, it's a very mundane conversation that's happening because he's being brought into town for these absolutely grisly murders murders. so it's a very lynchian moment that that he would be describing this in this little audio this micro cassette recorder um to this faceless woman named diane it's really just a a device a literary device for his inner monologue right absolutely and it's it's, it's it's a great way for the to to kind of recap everything that's happened in the previous whatever hour, yeah whenever hour, you need to do that as a writer it's, it's so it's trick. and it's and it's a good introduction for him as a character yeah. too because uh you get to see that he's very by the book he's like a boy scout and he has yeah. this natural sense of wonder which you want in a detective yeah. Yeah. so he's you like know the trees the like, trees are just uh, yeah he's got to find out what kind of trees these like are. that, that really line, something <laughs> really something and then the when he the next very next scene is him meeting Truman mm-hmm. in the hospital to talk to Ronan Pulaski if they can yeah and it, I I love that scene because it when like, they're walking down the corridor when they're walking the, down the, the corridor the it's a it's a good shot but it's also just because just plot wise you think 
oh, this is going to be a source of conflict. Yeah. Because it is in almost every other show. Like, you, yeah, if, you've watched the, it, if you've watched it, if the FBI watched shows any, up, yes. yeah, they're they going to be a problem. And Dale gonna... Cooper anticipates this. Agent yes. Cooper knows this and he walks and he's like, I'm going to stop you right there. And he, the he gives him... <laughs> He gives them a speech about how when the, when the FBI is here, the FBI is in charge. And, you're working for me. And, and he expects there to be some pushback, and there's not. Well, and as, But I think as the audience, too, you yes. expect that. You're like, okay, well, this is it. And then once that's subverted, you realize that that this is a this is a force for good. These are these are two people who have, who are just on the side of good, searching out evil. And yep. that's that's really part of the the show is that uh, fundamental conflict between good and evil. Yeah, it's absolutely. throughout the whole show, and you you never you're never going to question that between these two. Um, from the beginning, from the they are beginning. always on the same side, and and, the same and they become cases, they become yeah. the the closest. I mean, maybe aside from from James and Donna, but even they, like, well, they like Cooper and, and Truman, are the heart of the show. They yeah. are they are the the core relationship, really. That everything else revolves awesome, around yeah. because they're the ones who are solving this murder and and the mysteries that come about because of it. So it's um, it's a great way to introduce. We've just met uh, Agent Cooper. We had met Sheriff Truman a little bit earlier. And to see them coming together and to introduce that relationship, I I buy it instantly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It just, Even it though just it works. subverts every single trope that you, that you have seen in in any other yeah, TV and, and it does. Show it it forms movie. a bond where they can they can work in in concert and uh, they can kind of act as extensions of the same source of good. Um, Cooper might, you know, he has the FBI skills, but Truman has the local knowledge and and he has access to all the local resources. And Sheriff Truman has a very grounded, earthbound yeah. sense of right and of wrong. right and wrong and law and order and and detecting. And Agent Cooper very much doesn't, as yeah. we'll see in later yeah. episodes. He's in touch with something that's. He, totally his separate. line of questioning is always coming at things from from different angles that are yeah. just Weird. not what you would expect. <laughs> it's not a typical lawman's. Yeah. But you find out he has these special skills and he's been brought on board because of those special yeah. skills. And and he's he's absolutely the right man for the job, which is why I really they are uh, they're both heroes in that yeah. sense. But I, I would definitely qualify Agent Cooper as a hero, yeah, 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 I think, yeah. for sure. Yeah. He's... Well, yeah, the, I mean, I really do find them as, as they're, they're two sides of the same coin, uh, which is, you know, is the pursuit of justice yeah. and, and, and uh, bringing people to, yeah, law and order. So I think it's, I think it's a great move from uh, the series point of view because there's already so many characters and there's so much backstabbing that's going to yeah. be coming up. It's nice to have this solid core. Where um, the law enforcement is just a force for yeah. good. And, and it's they, very and, simple. And they, they, they trust each other implicitly. That I mean, trust is... Like, nobody trusts each other in, in shows like this, but right? But Cooper and Truman do. But Cooper do. and Truman do. And it's unwavering right to the last episode. Yeah. And it is a great, great way of, of setting up that whole it is It is and, yeah. maybe, aside from Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau, the best bromance <laughs> that I have ever witnessed. Yes, cross-border romance. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, and then in their first meeting, they talk about the trees. Again, and yeah, and, and it's it just... Okay, so I wanted to talk about this, too, because there is a sense of, of kind of... I've used the word sinister already today, but... Um, I also used the word obliquely twice oh, in these good. last two that's episodes. Impressive. But anyway, uh, there's something kind of sinister or macabre maybe is the word yeah. about the way that that uh, Agent Cooper approaches um, his investigation in this scene anyway. He, we've seen him driving into town and he talks about the trees and then he asks Sheriff Truman, what kind of fantastic trees you got growing yeah. around here? They're you know, he just has to know what yeah. they are. He's so and excited. It's Douglas, Douglas, Douglas Firs. Douglas Firs. And he just goes, 
Douglas Firs. Like he's he's never heard the word before and he's absorbing he it. it. Yeah, he loves and it. And then there's a pause and he says, I something about I want to see the coroner's Can report. I see the coroner's report on the dead girl? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's just it's just this instant jump from this wonderment about the trees to the raw the practicality dead girl. and like, yeah, like and, let's get on with business. But, it, but you also you also get the sense that that's how his brain works. That yeah. it's just it's almost like a stream of consciousness, like He's just following his train of thought yeah. where it goes. And and it's not that there's no sense of propriety because there absolutely is. He's a very by-the-book boy scout of, a, of an yeah. FBI agent. And he tries to respect people's boundaries absolutely. and stuff like that all the time. But, but when it comes to investigating things, it's like he knows that he's got the goods. He knows that he's got the skills. He's just going to follow it where it goes. And yeah. he doesn't care what other people think yeah. about his approaches well, or his he, methods. Well, he has... Uh, like, he's the only one who nobody really dislikes, except for, like, even Ben Horn kind of wind, winds well, up liking him, right? Like, he, he, has a, a he has a social skill of, like, everybody kind of likes likes Cooper. Yeah. So he's not worried about alienating him because they're going to come around. Like, yeah. Because he, he is. He just he's means immensely likable. And, and good. And right? I think that's something I've, I've heard that I'm pretty sure it was David Lynch who said that Kyle is the kind of guy that you want to go on strange adventures with. Yeah. And he has that look about him. He's like... He, he's conventionally and, attractive, yeah. but he's got, it's that sense of wonder that comes across in his roles. That big eyes. The big eyes and the big smile. And, and, yeah. and, and he's got this strong jaw that's very, that's like Dudley do right? Yeah. Like you didn't, he would make such an amazing RCMP officer. Like he could play an RCMP officer. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the, the Twin Peaks do South crossover oh, fic God. just writes itself is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you're the one who's going to write that one. <laughs> anyway. <for> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, so so we get that introduction to those yeah, characters, and then they, and then go, they see go the thing, and there's that great shot of the the guy who's uh, the lab tech or whatever who uh, with the flickering lights. Yes, so this it's just this an is, outtake that they didn't take out. It's yeah, well, it's not even an outtake. It's one of those those uh, serendipitous moments that David Lynch loves, uses, yeah. and there's two of them that we're going to talk about in this particular episode of the podcast. But this this episode introduces us to the flickering lights, which come yeah. back. As something that David Lynch uses over and over again, strobes and, and everything. But here it was completely unintentional. I guess there was a transformer on set that was not working. So the the light in the morgue, and it's not even the morgue, I don't think. I think it's, it's just in the hospital. It's just yeah, like they the, just happen to have the Calhoun there. Memorial Hospital in Twin Peaks is, is uh, it does double duty in a lot yeah, of yeah. these cases. I, all the places. In, yeah, yeah, they do, of course. You know, if we're going to talk about duality, we can talk about the setting of the, yeah. the show. But anyway, um, you've got this, this morgue attendant or lab tech or somebody who apologizes for this transformer that's making the lights flicker and it's making it hard for uh, agent cooper and sheriff truman to examine the body of laura palmer this happens after they see ronette though oh yeah they go, but nothing much happens nothing much happens you, she's, you, yeah, yeah she's been raped she's uh unable to talk but cooper does um examine open up he wants to examine her fingernails oh, and yeah. you never really know why he wants to examine her fingernails well, not at the start, but yes. you figured it out right away. But I, I love that shot of him uh, because he pulls out a magnifying glass and he's very almost Sherlock Holmesian. Like, yes. and, and that really adds to his mystique of like, he is smarter than everyone else yeah. in, the, in the town that he's going to meet. So he's going to know things and, and have techniques that they are not ready for. And that's followed through for the rest. But I found it very interesting that he, he bends over in a very kind of like hunchback Holmesian and he way. exams. Yeah, and it's very interesting. And it's not, um, it's... Looking deeper, which is something that the people in town kind of just accept things at face value, obviously. So he's looking, he's looking deeper into the, uh, even, even the yeah. doctor, the attending doctor is like, we already looked at the fingernails. Yeah. Like we've, well, we've and Truman says for, that twice too. Yeah. He says it when, when 
Cooper's looking at Laura's fingernails. Like we've already scraped them for, for tissue and, and whatnot. Yeah. So it's 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 completely unnecessary. But we don't know what he Cooper knows, knows. Yeah. and there there's a mystique there that he is um, he's a little bit yeah. A little str- uh, yeah, he's just, he's more He has access to things that we yeah, don't have yeah. access to. So so he examines Ronette's fingers. She does wake up briefly. Yeah, and mumbles. And mumbles whatever. something, but, there, not, but nothing not really important. interesting. You yeah. just find out that the, you know. She's not going to, she's not going to be a useful figure. And, and that, that Ronette always bothered me that way because um, I don't like, <laughs> and this is just a personal gripe. Uh, I don't like it when one character has access to all the information that someone needs, but through a convenient plot device, yeah. they never disclose that information or they choose not to and the character explanation is never very good so i always felt like well at any moment Renette's gonna wake up remember everything or maybe she'll have amnesia and they'll have to trigger it somehow right but it's like it's always a ticking time bomb of solving everything and i don't like that because then it it kind of cheapens the experience of of going through the steps to solve it yourself um so I, i dislike i dislike having her there especially because in the end she really doesn't contribute much of to the no. To discovery at all. Um, so it's like she's just there because, like, it, and then even in Firewalk. Anyways, I don't really like Renette Pulaski's character. I and I do, but I don't, I don't have as much of a problem with her as you yeah. do. But I do see what you're getting at, yeah. that it's that it's kind of a... It's just annoying because it's there, and but you never know what's going to happen with it. Right. Yeah, anyways, yeah, that's just a... But it does lead point. to, so so he looks at the fingernails, and then he goes down and looks at Laura's fingernails, and Truman's like, okay, you got to level with me. Like, what's going on here? Because, and it's a gross oh, scene. scene. Well, wait, first, first oh, the yeah, tech. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right, right, the tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay, sorry. So, um, so the tech says, uh, apologizes for the lights flickering, and then Cooper turns to him and says, Would you leave us, please? Jim, uh, would you leave us alone, please? Oh, certainly. The actor messed up and, yeah. and gave his own name. And it, you can see that there's kind of a moment where everybody's kind of thrown, but Kyle brings it back and just repeats the line, like, can, can, no, you, can leave you leave us alone, leave please? Us alone please? Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. and he leaves the room. And I guess David Lynch saw that, and he, it, he any it. other director would have just cut, cut it and do it again. Okay, but he kept it in because it's, it's again, it's, it's disorienting. Yeah, it's, it's just like... Well, What's going on in this town that yeah. people don't respond to the questions that they're asked properly? Like it's yeah. it's so funny, but um, and it's funny too. You're and like, it is what? it is funny. It's kind of played for laughs a yeah. little bit, but but it's it's jarring as well. And and uh, but then you have Cooper and Truman alone with uh, Laura's body, and uh, Cooper takes a pair of tweezers, tweezers and digs under in, yeah. her fingernail because he's he's been using the magnifying glass and he sees something under her fingernail, and he digs in and it's a horrific scene of. It's just so grisly. Because yeah. he goes so deep and then he yanks he it out. He pulls out a piece of paper and it has uh, the letter R, the letter R, R on yeah. it. And it's covered in, in mucus and, and blood and everything. And yeah. it's just it's just a grisly scene. And I, I yeah, it's stomach turning. But so that at that point, Sheriff Truman's like, okay, are you like, tell me what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And uh, he's like, I've got a lot to tell you or whatever. And then they cut away. I don't remember what the next couple scenes are. I remember that they wind up back at the police station and they're looking through Laura's diary they find out uh, there's a key for a safety deposit box and a little baggie that that Laura uh, Cooper says I will bet you that this has cocaine in it and And Truman Truman is like like, you don't know Laura Laura." and that's again that's that's the perception of the town I think that's that's a good uh, expression of 
how everybody saw Laura and how yeah. everybody sees all the kids, I think. Everybody's kind of assumed to be. And, and that's actually an interesting. The next note I have is not about a scene. It's about actually going back to the title sequence, which yeah. you told me. Yeah. Uh, so the title sequence has a sign, Twin Peaks Population 41,000. It's 51,201. Yeah. And it was supposed to be 5,000. Yes. And right? what happened was so they, screwed they, it up. they didn't screw it up. ABC thought that a town of 5,000. So this this goes back to the 70s when there was a pull away from rural TV shows like the Beverly Hillbillies and uh, more towards more shows that stuff. would be, yeah, urban shows well, like America All in the was Family. urbanizing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So so we're still seeing some, some aspects of that in even 1989, 1990, where ABC did not think that a town of 5,000 people was going to be relatable. Yeah. But, at it, all. but, but, it is like there's no way in a town of fifty one thousand the sheriff would know everybody. No, of course not. Or anything not. like that. Like it's that's far too large. So, so what 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 ended up happening? And, and this was written in the the there's a guide to Twin Peaks that was written as a tie-in novel. And Mark Frost and David Lynch have said that um, they they approved this that this was a a screw up on the part of the townsfolk who misprinted the sign. Oh, okay, I so didn't know that. The town, okay, so they wrote the, it off. As yeah, like a, they said in okay. canon. The town only has 5,120 people. Yeah, yeah. So, which makes way more sense that everybody knows everybody else. You can call up the local sheriff and get him on the phone. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's only like six deputies that you yeah, see in the whole series. And like, the doctor yeah. has delivered every baby. Yeah, like yeah. it's 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 a small town then that makes sense. Yeah. So in that in that respect, yeah, that yeah. explains so, that a bit. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, there's the, the small town feel uh, of finding the cocaine and not being, you know, Truman's aghast. And then there's a couple other small shots. I don't remember all of them. Um, but uh, it includes, like, Mike shows up to harass Donna. And I just found it interesting as a character thing. Well, yes, because we're introduced then to Big Ed Hurley. Yeah, and, Big Ed. And Nadine Hurley, his wife. So Nadine, Ed and Nadine are married. Uh, Ed is James Hurley's uncle. Yeah. And he runs the gas farm or the, the gas Yeah, farm. that's what he calls it. It's he's a gas, gas station. Street, it's, yeah. it's out on the highway. And that's what he does is he's the... Yeah, you know. need some, like, a garage, too, I guess. They yeah. fix stuff and whatever. So, yeah. and he's friends with, with Donna, and Donna comes by, and, and you see their, kind of their rapport, because I think it must be that, that Ed knows that Donna and James are already starting to fall in love, or he sees that they're, they have well, a deep yeah, friendship cause, anyway. Yeah, because James had come and said, hey, can you give this to, to Donna? To Donna, uh, Little yes. notes that he then delivers to Donna, and, and Mike shows up in a muscle car. I found that was just a nice little touch, like... Uh, you know, everybody's in this, these tropes of the you know, the jocks are driving muscle cars because they're muscle yeah. men, and then the 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 bikers are driving bikes and wearing the, leather. And yeah, and the sedate uh, girls are all driving little sedans and stuff. Like it's just a nice little touch for their for their characters. And Big Ed drives a big truck. You know, well, it's an old truck, but yeah, um, stuff like that. You know, it's just another uh, nice little piece of characterization. But it fits the, in with with Lynch's kind of obsession with Americana, right? That your yeah. car represents who you are, and yeah. that's something that's a very from the 1950s when muscle cars started, he's he's well, idealized. The 60s, but that's <laughs> right. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but okay, yeah. with the 1950s when when people started, well, to, cars were yeah, yeah, it was to a big an deal, and, yeah. and they they were an extension of your personality. Yeah. So he's showing a lot of that. Yeah, um, that just sensibility. Yeah, news in there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's. Uh, oh yeah, the next thing was uh, Cooper and Bobby's Cooper interviewing Bobby. Right. The next day. Um, no, it's the same day. Oh, it's the same day. It's the That's same right. day. That's right, yeah. It's all Everything takes place on, on... Yeah, the first 24 hours in the yeah. pilot, right? Every, I Yeah, I think every episode more or less takes place within a day. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
So, and there's only one point in the series where we jump forward in time by a few days. So, so that, that seems interesting for a couple of things. Uh, first is Cooper's, the way Kyle McLaughlin plays it is it's almost sinister. Well, that's what I was getting at when I said earlier that he's smiling and and everything. He's just so cocky and it's, is it cockiness or is it, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird choice. I like it. Yeah. But it does. It doesn't jive with the rest of the character for the rest of the series. The rest of the series yeah, but but it different. does give him kind of a. He's yeah okay cocky or smarmy or something that. But also like it's it does come across as almost genuinely friendly too. Like it's it's like like he's explaining to Bobby's like no Bobby this is how it works I ask the questions and, and you, you give me the short answer yeah, and yeah. that's it and it there's no malevolence there it's just like. This but the malevolence is implied by yeah, yeah the fact that I have a gun and, and that and, and you're but, under arrest, but that but, smile like it's yeah. not a friendly smile I think it's more like you know a dog snarling its teeth yeah a little bit I mean it goes yeah it goes away in future and I think episodes, you but. know it's it's sort of the similar similar to the way that that Cooper approaches things with Truman he's got to take a, a tougher line because he's got a you know first impressions mean a lot this is his first time meeting Bobby who is the prime suspect at this point. Yeah. Um, well, he's not really, but we think he is. Yeah, Cooper well, knows right away well, that yeah, and that's, Bobby didn't do it. And that's the thing is, like, they go through suspects so fast that you're like, well, who the hell is the killer? Like, yeah. I, in the first two episodes, the pilot in the next episode, you basically learn that the two people who Laura was involved with are not the killer. Yeah. So you're like, So well, it leaves it open. It's like somebody had to have done it. So, yeah. so the rest of the town is all suspect. So the next scene I have is, uh, of note, is with Audrey. And it's where she spills the coffee on the concierge. And the concierge is like this bumbling kind of fool who like makes it worse and spreads the coffee around. It's kind of annoying. But the scene of interest is when she goes in and like spills. Yeah, Audrey goes into the Norwegian's room, uh, the hall again, and distracts them and then explains that Laura's died and that they should leave. You said she was, she, I think you were going to say she spills the, the beans she spills the coffee and then she spills, spills the, the beans. beans that's a nice touch. i think I no but it, but it's like it's like an escalation yeah but in audrey's you know so yeah, she has yeah. this character we've seen her earlier in the, the high school where she doesn't really have much of a reaction to laura's death so when she goes in to see the norwegians and she starts pretending to be this oh, very yes sad girl you know but i okay so before we get into more of her character, I found the that, that shot interesting because, A, like, it's really gradual. Like, she's just walking around and then gradually one or two of the Norwegians look over. And then at the end, everybody's looking at them. But it's also, it's a very sexualized scene in a weird way because mm-hmm. she's kind of like, she's playing the coquettish yeah. uh, schoolgirl. And they're they're talking in, in Norwegian, but they're saying, they're basically saying the word femme. Like, I, I think mm. I heard it like four or five times while they're there. And they would say the word sext. And stuff like that, which probably doesn't mean anything in Norwegian. If I know David Lynch, he's just making shit up to make it. But it, it is. It's like it's like this. The scene has this weird charge of of male gaze sexuality projected onto Audrey, and she's just standing there looking sad. And it, and even the guy says it. What's wrong, young pretty? Young pretty girl. girl. Yeah. Says, yeah. And it's it's like a weird way to address someone that you don't know first of all yeah, um, call me a young pretty girl yeah, yeah yeah and it's like okay maybe it's lost in translation or a little bit or something but that, i think it's on purpose it's like they're they're charging audrey sexually right from the get-go well and that's something that that all the women are being sexualized yeah. and it's it's a charge that is leveled at david lynch a lot yeah that he's a sexist or a misogynist um i don't think it's warranted necessarily there are certain 
aspects of objectification for sure. of women. But and and certainly they experience more violence in Lynch films. Well, it's just it's I don't know if they experience more, but they experience more fetishized violence. It's like they show well, the violence yeah, against women. And there's sexual violence. Yeah. It's, it's Laura is raped and murdered and yeah. Ronette is raped and left for dead. And yeah. and then you have Shelley, who is clearly afraid of her husband for whatever reason. We find out later yeah, that he's, he's kind of an abusive dick. And, <laughs> and, um, and then you've got Audrey, who is, yeah, being sexualized. She's sexualizing herself in a sense when we first meet her and yeah. she puts on the, the red the, pumps yeah. and she's, you know, smoking the cigarette. Vamping she's a little, yeah. very much vamping. Yeah. But but then when other people are doing it to you, it's it's different. And yeah. it's but she's playing into it too. So I, I Well for that and scene you don't especially know, you don't know how much of that is innocent and how much of it is, is uh her, knowing yeah, because what she wants, yeah. Because like I said uh, Laura is is the one who had this troubled inner world and presented the, the image of the innocent blonde cheerleader or homecoming queen. Yeah. Audrey's the flip side of that. She's presenting this this vampy, you know, dark brunette yeah, coquette, right? Yeah, but, but you find out later she's not, really. No. She's much more of an innocent. And I think this yeah. is interesting because... Um, uh, She's brought in as the love interest for Dale Cooper, which we don't find out until the next episode. But uh, they play a really... It, you've got Audrey and Laura as as a pair, a duality. But you, you have a pair also in, in Cooper and Audrey that yeah. they're, they both approach things with kind of a, a wonder and an innocence that is... Yeah. It's just Audrey's is a little bit, a little bit untutored, and yeah. you you get the feeling that she could be, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, on his Cooper level, level. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. when she's not eighteen, yeah, but she's yeah. So so in in these scenes, like she she asks when she's about to pull the pencil out of the cup and spill the coffee everywhere, she asks what would happen, yeah. And then she does it because she wants to see what would happen, yeah. and it's a very childish innocent thing, but thing. it's it's childish. But I don't necessarily. Like, when I saw it, I thought there was malice. Oh yeah, you like you get the sense that she's trying. But I don't. To be I, I don't think mean. she's doing it. I think she's doing it for attention. Yeah. I don't think she's doing it to be a bitch. No. Well, but it yeah, comes the thing, off it's like that. her. And once you get into her uh, backstory and her family life yeah. and everything, you really do start to realize um, that she's just you know looking for attention and she wants her dad to love her. It really does. So. Um, so and the next one I made a note about was just a little piece of Americana when after she exposes everything to the Norwegians, there's a scene where they uh, they're leaving and the concierge is like the Norwegians are leaving the yes. Norwegians are leaving. and it's just like a nice callback to well, to what's his name <laughs> when the British are coming right oh yeah and Paul Revere yeah Paul Revere but I, but I found it interesting too that there's uh, there's not a lot of outsiders in this show yeah right. And there's not even really reference to the outside world. We don't know where Coopers come from. We just have this this yeah. kind of claustrophobic town, town that yeah. exists in this. It's place. almost like a a Truman Show kind of thing, like where this whole the whole world is actually just in Twin Peaks. Like, right. Then, so so yeah. references to that that there are Norwegians who exist and must they're now they're leaving, so they're going someplace else. Yeah. It's it's not like. You know, Twin Peaks isn't the Hotel California. Like, it's not a place that you can go to, but you can't leave. Like, there's a yeah. world that exists outside this place. Yeah. And so, for, uh, I don't remember the name of the concierge. 
I can't remember her name. I can yeah, see no, her nameplate. Yeah, name play, yeah, but, her nameplate. Yeah, I don't. Or remember. her. She's, she's only in the pilot. She yeah, I don't. Back. I don't yeah. think she comes back. But, but anyway, she's she's the one. She's ringing the bell and she's yeah, yelling out yeah. that the Norwegians are leaving. And it's yeah. like that would be a traumatic experience if like this huge contingent of yeah. of Norwegian businessmen who are like you're linked to the outside world and all right, of a sudden they're leaving. Yeah. It's like oh yeah okay yeah. that would suck. Yeah. Plus it would be you know I, I think everybody knows how important it is to Ben Horn that that they seal this deal and now that's not going to happen yeah. so and it's all because of audrey yeah walking she did in that on purpose she right? totally yeah, did that on yeah. purpose so and she's giggling even from yeah, behind yeah, a pole she yeah. she, she looks out it, yeah. she's giggling at, at what's happening and so i yeah. think the you know there there is malice in this first episode the characters are introduced really well but i think that the characters evolve re- yeah and they get refined in between yeah. the pilot and the first episode even like you like audrey her haircut's different and, well that's because it's like you're between when yeah, they filmed, filmed and them. Yeah, but it was still, like, it was interesting. And, uh, yeah. Well, not and, quite a year, but... Well, yeah. Not quite a year. It was not quite. The, the, this episode was filmed in... The pilot was filmed in March, April of 1989. Yeah. And I think the rest of the series was filmed... Well, if it was airing in April of 1990, it would have been filmed six months before that or whatever. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, yeah. Enough time for the, the hair to grow and for yeah. some rewrites to be done. And I think Sherilyn Fenn, who plays Audrey Horn, was... Um, wanted those changes. well i don't think she was initially supposed to be such a big character i think that that was that part was written for her when when she either sometime in between the pilot and the first episode or uh you know but she she becomes a much more central character to to the plot than you would be led to believe from yeah. that first yeah yeah. The pilot, yeah 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 so um so then after that uh what there's not much that's going on really um yeah well i guess you you do get to meet you get a little glimpse of her actually and her family you get to see uh her brother ben yeah no No, her brother is is johnny johnny horn yes and And she yeah he's um he's distraught mental yeah he's 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 culturally appropriating the an outfit of he's wearing a, a native american headdress banging his head on which a we haven't even got into the Mm-mm. whole native american connection not yet but that comes up in later episodes yeah but anyway he's he's clearly he's he's disturbed by something and you find out it's because laura will not be coming today she was his tutor yeah and she won't be coming today because she's dead and and there there's an um a maid or somebody yeah. a house a servant of the horn well, yeah, family and you, and you get to see uh uh mrs horn uh audrey and johnny's mother for like one of only like three scenes in the whole yeah, series. Yeah, she's not. She's, in she's not a major character. But she's very unsympathetic when the maid comes down and says, "Maybe you should talk to Johnny." Yeah, it's again. It's one of those scenes where you get everything you need to know about her character right away. Right she's away. Just stuck she's up. very cold. Yeah, she, a queen, like a a, a housewife, queen. a real yeah. housewife of Twin Peaks. Really, yeah. like she married the richest man, so she doesn't have to do anything. And but she's also upset too. Like there's yeah. an upset, and and Audrey is sitting right next to her, and and there's a sense that she's. But she has no emotional attachment to her kids. Like she is, she's very selfish. Well, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. know why, but she does look disturbed. She looks upset. She maybe she's just angry. Maybe she doesn't like the banging noise yeah. that you hear throughout. Well, that's the, the thing. Yeah, she she yells like, does she does he not understand that that Laura's yeah. not coming? She he just has to accept that. But the, even that shot is very uh, not Lynchian. It is a Lynch esque shot because it's how so. There's there's sound off screen, just a constant the thudding of the head. You don't know what it is at first. It's the shot of the kitchen. And then, no, it's a dining room. Dining room, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. And then uh, and Audrey's just sitting there looking kind of bored, and you hear this this banging, and then you see what it is, but they never really address it. 
it, like nobody does anything to help Johnny. They just no, talk about it. No, you get the it, sense that there's like a maid, revolving. a maid who is up there trying to explain it, but you never see her do that. Yeah. And she suggests that maybe uh, Sylvia Horn uh, should go up and try her hand at explaining yeah. it, but she doesn't want to do it. It's like they're talking about acting, but there's no action actually yeah, and, happening. Yeah, and so you get the the characters very clearly that way, and you also get um, this kind of distance in the family, like people. Nobody's talking to each other. None of the family members talk to well, each other. Well, they don't look the, at each other they, either. They, nobody's no, there's looking. no eye yeah, contact there's nothing. during these conversations. It's just this, the coldness of the house, yeah. of the household. It's it's really captured very, very well on that. Again, it's like... Very similar to the Martells yeah. at the Blue Pine Lodge that yeah. opened the scene. I think I think that's what Lynch does better than anything is show like uh, like a broken family. <laughs> like yeah. like a, the yeah. disconnects between people. Sure. He, he's very good at filming that and, and showing it very easily. So We go from there to... Uh, the bank faults. The safety deposit safety box. Safety deposit yeah. box where you, you get a little bit more of the the underbelly of Laura's. But even before Laura, you walk in and there's a dead <laughs> animal No, on it's the not thing. a dead animal. It's no, just it's a stuffed a, animal. It's, a, it's like the mounted... Uh, uh, Elk or something? I don't know. I don't know. Moose something. Moose something. Yeah, it's some fallen sort of... off the wall and it's just sitting on the... But it is a representation of death right in the middle of the sure. room, right? And it's another... Like you were saying, when you open the room... And there's something waiting inside. Right. In this case, it's death, and they they open it up and. But we're we're in the room already when yeah. the the door opens and the Cooper and Cooper Truman and Truman walk in, in with the the bank teller or whoever, and she apologizes for the this, yeah, this mounted stuffed the stuffed animal. animal head on the table, which is a weird, but it's something that you would see in a small town. It's like in a big in a big city bank, there would be a place, there would be a room where if you know your giant moose head fell off the wall, you'd put it in a room and close the door. Yeah. But but all of these rooms serve double duty. Double Double duties and and more than one purpose, so there may not be another room for this moose head to, to go, yeah. go. So it just sits on the table in the room where they bring in the safety deposit boxes. And so anyway, and and then there's this this cute little interaction where the the they don't know how long Laura's had the yeah. It's like you know, so there's small no town, records, like, oh, so we, it must have been have around six months somewhere. Yeah. It's... So Cooper's like, can you go, go get, get that? It. And and then she. Yeah. She leaves and, and they, go, yeah. they, but they use the key, they get into the safety deposit box and they find a whole whack of money and, and a copy of Flesh World magazine, yeah. which is uh, a, like, a, like a like, mail order porn website or a website, it's a like, magazine. It's like a, it's like a hookup thing too, though. It's yeah. like you can, like, it's you, like Tinder, women, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like women, or it's, I don't know if it's, it's for escorts. Are they serving as escorts? I well, think it, they kind yeah, of I think are. It's, just, it's, it's like pen pals almost. Yeah, like yeah, you write into a PO pals. box. Yeah. And people will people will write in their their ads. They put the ads in this magazine called Flesh World, and then you can write to those ads. It's like a giant personals magazine. Yeah. And they find a picture of Ronette Pulaski in the magazine. So all of a sudden, there's a link there between uh, Ronette, who has been attacked and is now laying comatose, comatose or yeah. catatonic anyway, yeah. in Calhoun Memorial. Laura has a magazine, has this magazine in her safety deposit box. Where did she get all this money from? It Cooper makes a comment about selling Girl Guide cookies or yeah, something. Yeah, that's a lot of Google cookies. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, obviously there's another reason for it. And Truman is just shocked because yeah. this is something he had no idea this should on. have even been going on. So... Well, that kind of gets contradicted later on in the series, which is understandable. It's the pilot. But, like, later on he says, like, uh, well, we know someone's been smuggling cocaine into the city for... Right. Or into the town for a while. And obviously, right. you know, they know who it is, but... But, yeah, yeah, okay, but it's not who you would expect to be yeah. doing the cocaine, yeah. right? So... Yeah. No, that's still... Awesome. So, it, and so yeah, we see this picture of Ronette, and then it, it pans over to another picture 
of Leo Johnson's truck. And then we, we go to the Johnson Leo's. residence, which is, um, interestingly, it's it's a house that it's is, not, not, it's not even a house, it's, it's being finished. There's plastic sheeting everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. which is really creepy when you think that Laura was, was wrapped up in plastic. And then you see this house that's basically that. all plastic. Yeah. So immediately it's like, oh, okay, Leo did it. Yeah. Right, and we meet Leo at this and point. And he's such an asshole. Right off the bat, he's abusive and controlling, and well, he, and he tells Shelley. We to... were talking earlier about uh, how technology is a way to transmit information, yeah. and Shelley's watching a news report yeah, about about the Laura's murder, yeah. and Leo wants her to turn it off. Yeah, and you don't know why, but you think in your head it's probably because he doesn't want to be reminded of the murder that he's caused because yeah. he totally did it. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is what you're thinking as you're watching yeah. this because he's now the most obvious suspect. Yeah, because oh, Bobby's been cleared. They yeah, they've, they've let Bobby go. Yeah. So, um, but he makes her shut off the TV, which is, again, it's like the Norwegians leaving. It's like there's this outside influence that is cut off. Yeah. And Shelly doesn't want to shut it off because she's really interested in this. Yeah. And you don't really know why she's interested in it, but it's it's something salacious. and Yeah, she she must have known. Yeah, Laura Laura did, you find out later, she did the Meals on Wheels program through the Double R, which is where Shelly works. Um, And Shelly, I'm going to say, played by Machen Amick. She's just the most beautiful woman. She's gorgeous. She is God. so gorgeous. So she still is. She still. She doesn't look any different. No. And her daughter looks exactly like her. Oh, I really? saw a picture of her daughter, and I thought that's that's Majinamic yeah. from twenty years ago. <laughs> but no, it's her daughter. She's she, and they they gorgeous. they're yeah. So it's even more horrific that that Leo is such an asshole to her because she's beautiful. How can such violence and anger be visited on and, someone so beautiful? Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of. A metaphor, I think, for like David Lynch always populates his movies with beautiful women. Oh yeah. So so and it's no different here that yeah. that Mage Nimic is Yeah. And and she's so she's beautiful and she's being Exploited. Exploited and, and, and up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah, Leo is so controlling. He wants her to only smoke one type of cigarette. So because, he knows that nobody else is coming into yeah, his house which and smoking is, cigarettes. Yeah, just I mean, it's such a great way to. I mean, his character that introduction. I mean, it's the second introduction, yes. really, but it really reinforces the initial one of fear so quickly. And it also, I love he has a little tuft of hair in the pilot yeah. that just like dangles down from his his ponytail, and it is just the ugliest. Thing. It is. It's <laughs> like, so ninety. You make yeah, but you, it makes you hate him even just that extra little bit mm-hmm. more. Like for setting up a bad guy, it is. Yeah. Again, a, a great introduction. Like, yeah, there's yeah. just so many little cues there. It's, they lose awesome. that. He he doesn't have that. His yeah. hair is significantly less puffy and yeah. and more and tied more back. More tied and, back yeah. later on, which which increases his thuggishness. I think. Yeah, he looks like he, he's he's there, kind of a. Yeah. In the first one, he he looks almost like deranged. And this and in yeah. the in this by the first episode one, yeah. he's uh, sorry that was air quotes episode <laughs> one. Uh, he's really turned into just kind of like a, a big jerk. Yeah, but he's more, he's more, well, he's still unhinged. Yeah. I think that never changes, but, yeah. but he's more in control of it. Like, yeah. there's just something, it's like a slow simmering anger fire and anger yeah. that's in him. Yeah. As opposed to just, he looks kind of nuts in the first. Yeah, and I, it, it, yeah. it is a little bit because of his hair. Yeah. I think you get the same effect with uh, Grace Zabriskie, who plays uh, Laura's mother, who yeah. has this big the curly, curly hair, hair which yeah. is a little bit deranged as well, yeah. too, right? So. Yeah. So not to say that everybody with curly hair is nuts, but but it's, it's definitely. I think, I think when you're when you're talking about David Lynch, yeah, he uses yeah. those visual clues. The semiotics of yeah. of his movies are always around. Yeah, it's unhinged, the, those like, yeah, visual loss clues. Of controls, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. 
if you're watching this, pay attention to those things. <laughs> who has curly hair? Who has dark hair? Who has yeah. light hair? What color clothing are they wearing? Yeah. You know, oh, these yeah. are these are all things that, or even just the the color of the the light that's shining on them, or where they're standing yeah. in relation to other colors. There's, it's yeah, nothing's by accident. No, it's not so. for sure. Yeah. Um, so then we have the town hall scene. Which oh, is, yes. which so is the, and again, funny. What we're what we're dealing with is this is all happening in the same day. So yeah. this is now evening Evening-ish, yeah. on this Friday night, and all the town dignitaries, the sure. everybody everybody with an interest in this and the well, leaders it, of the town. And the leaders of the town. It's not just everyone up. with an interest. Yeah, but yeah. So, and it's it's kind of a bit of plot exposition, but it works really well because you know, you, you along with Cooper kind of like Truman kind of lays out the land, like, oh there's Josie Packard, she owns the mill again, explains that, and uh, here's Ben Horn who's trying to get her land. Yeah, and, he's the glad-handing dandy, yeah, yeah. That, as Cooper puts it. Yeah, and, and you get to meet the mayor for the first time, yes, who is Dwayne another Milford. hilarious character, but who also winds up with a cool backstory yes. and, and stuff, yeah. so there's and, more to uh, that. And the Martells, you're introduced to the Martells, which you don't know that that's their, their last name at that point. You don't know that, you just know that they are involved with the mill. Yeah. Um, and how they're related. So so those relationships are brought in. The log lady is introduced. Yes. Cooper asks, who's, who's the lady, lady with the log? log? And Truman goes, oh, that's the log lady. And it's just brilliant. And she's just standing there at the back, just, just flicking, flicking off the lights. the lights and telling people to be quiet, and, like shushing and it's everybody. Another, like, it's, a, it's like an inversion of the usual Lynch strobe light thing. It's like yes. just a crazy lady just like just, flicking the lights on. Which is now how I hope that all the strobing effects in David Lynch movies are done. There's <laughs> done. just some lady in the background just flicking, flicking the lights on. on and off. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, I hope somebody, David Lynch, if you're listening to this, please write in and confirm that. <laughs> I or start think. doing it the rest yeah, of your yeah. works. That would make me so happy. I think he's done with movies, so <laughs> we'll see. Well, we'll see. Anyways. But anyway, I wanted to bring up yeah. um, something interesting that I that I learned about Josie Packard's character because right. initially her name was going. She was going to be Italian. Her name was going to be Giovanna, and she was going to be played by Isabella Rossellini, who was oh, David yeah. Lynch's girlfriend at the time. And I don't know why that was changed, but I think it works better in this instance. That it's Joan Chen, it's a Chinese American or a Chinese yeah, woman being brought yeah, over. Yeah. Who you find out she was married to Andrew Packard, who is uh, Catherine Martell's brother. Yeah. They're the ones who own Packard, the Packard sawmill. Yeah. Andrew died the year before in a an accident, and he willed the entire operation to his new blushing bride, yeah. who was brought over from Hong Kong six years ago, yeah. so 1983. So now you you get this tie-in with uh, her the the opening scene with her painted up in this geisha makeup kind of makes a little bit more sense in a in a kind of orientalist racist kind of way that she's presented as this mail order bride this this geisha yeah well, which it, yeah, again it builds her character yeah. in that in that sense like it builds her character to that conclusion of yes. she was just. Uh, a mail order bride. She was, right. which gets confounded later in the story. Yeah, absolutely. And they and, build more of her, but uh, but but it does bring in that now she's she's in charge of this whole operation, and she doesn't really know what she's what's doing, doing what's happening. Yeah. Catherine still has to have a hand in the day to day operations and the accounting, which becomes yeah. The, one so of the plot lines. Yeah. so a lot of this is is uh, you know Josie being in way over her head. Yeah. But, well, but not really. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing. The thing is, yeah, 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 there's there's a lot of things that come up later on that we're not going to touch now, but yeah. that that are really but make um, Josie's plotline more interesting yes. and and really add to what happens. Yeah, how things kind of wrap up and stuff. It's yeah. it's a really cool 
thing. I mean, even right yeah. down to the last episode. Yeah, exactly. Stuff there, so. So. so anyway, Cooper is introduced um, to this this town. He yeah, gives a speech. He gives about, a little speech, and he lays out a, a curfew for yeah, the people under kids, eighteen yeah. just to keep everybody safe. He also uh, tells them as much as he can tell them about this. Uh, open investigation from a year earlier where a drifter in Deer Meadow, Washington, which is the opposite corner of the state, uh, her name was Teresa Banks, and she was murdered, and the FBI was involved in that case. This is this now ties in with what Cooper was looking for under the fingernails because he was trying to link these two cases together. And he says that Laura was the second and Ronette would have been the third, third victim, victim of the same killer. So now they're looking at a serial killer and this just amps up the, the, the tension town. and yeah. the, the, um, the, the drama, I guess, of this whole thing because now this, this idyllic, bucolic, you know, northeast well, Washington he town. He says right after that, he says, and the killer may be someone you know. Yes. So it's it's not just like that there's a serial killer. The serial killer is in this town. Yeah. And it and that really goes to, to shuttering the the idyllic kind of landscape. Oh yeah, for of, sure. Of this and town. it may, yeah. it just reinforces and underlines all the things that we've already discovered as we're watching the show. Everybody that has has crossed our screen is now a suspect. We've thought that entirely Cooper, who is this voice of authority if he's saying it well it must be true yeah. so somebody we've seen already is the killer yeah and, and it's up to us to figure out figure who it, it is out. yeah and i just like the way he ends that scene is uh he says i remind i want to remind everyone these crimes occurred at night yeah and they cut to the first night shot which is the dangling, yes, the dangling uh um, street lights yeah they're going goes from green to yellow to red yeah and uh which is a brilliant shot and it's reused again like all the time. so many of the shots in in david lynch's uh, wind through the trees yeah. or you know the great you know the vistas that yeah. of the pacific northwest um we should say that this this episode takes place or the the setting of the show is twin peaks in a fictional town obviously but uh if you were to locate it on the map it's just west of the the uh, montana. montana state line and five miles well, south, south of, of the canadian so it's, in the northeast so it's northeast corner of washington, washington yeah. state which is nowhere near the ocean, so I don't know where the foghorn would have been coming from. Well, it's like a lake. Yeah, it's a yeah, lake it's thing. it's yeah. a different it's a different thing. But but yeah. It, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there's a whole thing there. So, yeah, um, and then yeah, so then it goes to this is it kind of goes the pacing is uh, wrapping up towards the end of the episode, and it's it boils down to a meeting between Donna and James Hurley um, to discuss. Laura and what happened. Well, and everything. we missed something here because there's a scene where Donna is interviewed by Agent Cooper, and they found. Oh yeah. In in Laura's bedroom, they found uh, when a Hawk camera, and yeah. and everybody was they were going through looking for evidence. They found a video camera, and Agent Cooper plays the video, and he wants to know who shot the video, and he asks James Hurley, who shot the video. He won't admit to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he does admit that he was the one who shot it. Yeah. But he interviews Donna at one point, and she doesn't want to give up anything. Because yeah. she... And it's really interesting because um, her concern at this point is only for Laura and James not wanting their relationship to get out. Yeah. This is so much bigger than that. Yeah. Like her friend has been murdered. Yeah. But she's got such a high school sensibility about yeah. things. And also she's crushing on James already. She is, of, of course. But but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't jibe with, with like, Cooper just doesn't understand. Like, yeah, he, you can see well, he he's flummoxed. Like, he's this like, is like, this is really serious, serious right? Yeah. So tell us who shot the video. And they find out that it was James. So James automatically becomes a suspect at yeah. this point, too. And... 
Laura's diary that they found mentions that she was nervous about meeting Jay tonight, the letter J. And so there are a lot of characters in the show with the letter J in their name. So, uh, which comes back to in the third episode, uh, third or fourth episode. But but they, they think it's James because he they found out he was the secret boyfriend. So um, Donna now knows that she needs to see James. James knows that he's a suspect. And... Uh, so they arrange a, a meeting at the Roadhouse at 930. The Roadhouse is like the neighborhood. Damn, like, we missed something else too because what? they find the crime scene. Oh, yeah. They find I mean, the crime scene and they find the half-heart necklace. Yes, okay. The right. half-heart necklace, which which they think the killer would have the other copy of. So this yeah. is why Donna needs to see James as well. But, yeah. but they've already arranged to meet at the Roadhouse. Yeah. And so now Donna, armed with this information that they're looking for the person who has the other half of this heart necklace, James has the other half of that heart because he and yeah, Laura he were in love. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Necklace, yeah. So, um, so this is what charges this whole thing. Donna sneaking out of the house. This really cute moment with her sister Harriet, who's this budding poet. Um, Could she be any more eighty? That's that's, <laughs> the, that's the note I have here. Wow, because wow, that hair and them glasses. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Does she have glasses? No, she doesn't have glasses. Okay, right. I just made that. Up. I was thinking of Barb. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Aiden's confusing his supernatural <laughs> yeah, TV shows. stuff. Yeah. Um, so she yeah, sneaks so out. She, she sneaks goes out. to the roadhouse and. Mike and Bobby are there because Mike and Bobby have also figured out that James was involved with Laura and they're waiting for James. They're surprised to find Donna. And well, first of all, before we get too far into that, yeah. can we talk about how incredibly fucked up the roadhouse is yes. and how I wouldn't inc- say it's fucked up. It is fucked up because it, it, <laughs> it is a biker bar with the most lamest ass band. It's not playing. lame. It's not lame. It just doesn't fit. It's well, it's bikers are not interested in ambient electronic which just seemed to be what they're kind of playing with like this ethereal voiced woman yeah who, julie cruz okay yes you know the band and yes. everything of course but, but but it's 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 another thing that just sets up the difference that twin peaks is not your typical town the biker bar is know. is a place it's norma and ed yeah, are meeting there. there yeah um norma being the the, the waitress, waitress from the double r at the beginning well, the owner of the, the double owner r, of the double r yeah. yeah and and ed being uh james's Uncle who Uncle, runs the gas who's farm. who's married to one-eyed Nadine, yeah. who's obsessed with drape runners. So this is another relationship that's hidden, because right yes. away she says, I love you, Ed, like in the yes. first like five minutes of them talking. Yeah. And uh, you find out her husband's in, in jail for manslaughter. Yeah. So there's, there's, they're building onto this world that we started off with just Laura being dead, and now all of a sudden we have all these other characters, and there's Doing just enough to tantalize us into thinking there's, there's more going on here beneath the surface that we need to get we need to get answers to but this is all happening in this one roadhouse in this bar and it is a biker bar there are, there are lots of bikers. lots of bikers there lots of leather yeah. um but it doesn't feel like a biker it feels like it feels like a great hall like it feels like a, a place you would have a wedding and then the bar is right well, there. yeah but this is what i mean about places playing double roles because this looks like the elks club but it's also yeah. the biker bar, and it's also where they have a courtroom scene at some point in the show. And oh, yeah, there's, that's right. you know, it's it plays every <laughs> yeah, role yeah. because it's a small town, and places have to do double duty. So yeah, I mean, I think it's also just like that's a that that whole scene is something that only Lynch could ever come up with because if someone else you read a script and you're like at a biker bar, there's a band on stage and Singing Bobby a and Mike. No, well, no, yeah. then the Bobby okay. and Mike walk in. 
it's never if you just read that any other director it would be a completely different scene and even mm-hmm. the way uh like it's quiet enough that when mike yells at donna everybody is, is, in the bar well, everyone turns. hears and it's 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 something you don't expect because you expect a biker bar to have this din and this this overwhelming noise uh which in fire walk with me is the exact opposite yes. of where that is exactly how you would picture it um and it's not it's like it's almost abrupt how that much he can Mike, that he can yell over the noise in the yeah, bar and everybody hears him and yeah. looks at him and they don't then all do anything which well, is another start. thing that that everybody is yeah. kind of when when, when the, the violence starts it's just kind of like well, even in the school, in the school scene, all the yeah. kids are just kind of sitting there. Well, yeah. Donna's having a reaction. She's freaking out over Laura's death and nobody is doing it. Nobody again, is reacting. Again, that's a lynch thing. Her. Yeah, because like his extras, they don't act. Like, they just sit they there. Just, they, they, they are, they are uh, just parts of the, the ambience and the, the setting, really. Yeah. In, unless they're, uh, there's, I mean, the, we watched Inland Empire where there's like, these weird scenes with like tons of girls dancing and driving naked or thriving around naked and everything. Like there's some weird stuff where he does weird stuff with extras, but in a lot of cases they're just there to, to fill out the room and they don't react like most, like if you had like a, you know, almost any other movie, if something big happens, the extras do some sort of reaction. Mike goes up to Donna and roughs her up. He starts grabbing her by the shoulders and And she's yelling at him to let her go and get your hands off me. And Ed is the only one who steps up Stop. to do anything. Until and as all the he does, do, yeah. yes. But but we find out that Ed is kind of the leader of of. Uh, he's not the leader of the biker gang, but he's got a special connection with yeah. a lot of these bikers uh, via the book house. So um, they all step up, and Ed gets knocked out cold yeah. very early on. And Mike and Bobby take on most of the bar at that point. And then they, they get beat up, and then the cops arrive. Yeah, the cops arrive, yeah. and they. But at this point, Donna's being spirited away by uh, Joey Paulson, who is another one of the bikers, who says, I'll take looks you to like see Shia James. LaBeouf. He does look like Shia LaBeouf so, so much. much. It's weird. I had I to double it. check. I'm like, how old yeah, is how Shia Yeah, how old is Shia LaBeouf? LaBeouf? He was like four. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but um, so... Yeah, so they spirit away, and then they, they have like their little tryst, and they, they kind of Well, no, because Trooper... Uh, oh, Trooper. Yeah, the, yeah. Cool. Trooper. Trooper. I'm just going to call yeah. him Trooper. Trooper. Um, they're, they've staked out the book house because yeah, they, they want to... They try and chase them down. Yeah, and they lose them. They lose them. And so, um, yeah, so Donna and, and James have their chance to, to have a little... Uh, catch up and James explains that Laura he, he was he, with Laura the night the night before when she died and, and she left him and she was acting weird and you get a sense that you get a little bit more detail of, of what, what was wrong was. with Laura and everything uh, and then Donna, Donna says that they need to get rid of the necklace because yes. uh, she's heard from her father and mother who were talking about this that um, they're looking for the person with the other half of that necklace so they decide to bury it and and then they, they, they have a moment, they kiss, and they realize that they're, they're falling in love, love which yeah. is, you know, it's a it, cliche. But it's, it, but it's so unique to this because it's the third. Uh, it, so there were two. So there was Laura and Donna. They both had boyfriends. They were both cheating on. There's a little love triangle. One of them's dead, but it's actually a love well, there's five spokes because well, yeah, like, like Mike and Bobby are also in there somehow. And Bobby's uh, with Shelly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just it's a it's a tangled. tangled it's a very web. tangled web. And you get all this in the first what? It's an hour it's an and thirty hour, minutes yeah, of worth of yeah. programming, yeah. and you find out all these characters have all yeah. these things. And that's not even the end. By the the last one is Truman and, and Jody Packer. Yeah, and that who aren't cheating, but they're they're but having a, a hidden secret, relationship. Hidden relationship. And yeah. and it's all back to that appearance versus reality. And yeah. and just below the surface, there are all these things that people don't talk about. And don't acknowledge. And Which is unique 
Because in small towns, you kind of expect that everybody knows everybody's business. And it seems like there's a lot that people don't know. Yeah. And then Cooper comes in and figures it all out. Yeah. Like right away. At first that, that's glance. That's which, yeah. which is really funny. So I love how like he knows how, everybody. How's, what's in the water in Twin yeah. Peaks that is making everybody so dumb yeah. that they can't see this shit? But so anyway, yeah. So then uh, James and Donna are intercepted on the highway by the, uh, uh, Cooper and Truman. Yeah, and he gets taken in for questions. Yes. But then, the, okay, so this, I have notes on this last couple uh, shots. They're all kind of intermixed. So there's uh, James getting hauled into the cell and Bobby and Mike barking at him. And it's right, because they've been pulled in from, they, yeah, from the Yeah, they've already been arrested house. from the roadhouse. So they're already in a cell, and then James gets shoved in, and he's he's like a cowering thing, and they're animalistic, barking at him. And they him. are. They bark at him, which is and, a weird... And, but there's also a thing where it, it overlaps uh, Mrs. Palmer's scream on top of... Are you sure you it's her scream? I don't know. It's not It's not Mike's or Bobby's scream. No, there's there's definitely something going on in the sound there yeah. that to make it... There's and, a, uh, an overlap An Yeah, and it's like, it's like a mixture overlap. of something else, and... Uh, when we watched Inland Empire, he did that visually. He did like a face swap right. with Laura Dern and one of the bad characters. I don't sure. remember. That movie was so fucked up. But there is, uh, and he does that a lot. He he will combine two things and um, basically make them one for the purposes of exaggerating uh, like an emotion or a or a, a response that he wants to evoke. Like he 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 turned Bobby's yell into a. Uh, like a maniac scream almost like that. Like he exaggerates so much by by morphing these things together. Um, and at the same time, basically, like it's all kind of happening. Uh, interspersed is the uh, uh, Mrs. Palmer is kind of waking up and... Uh, well, she's she's, well, she's sleeping. falling asleep. Yeah, she's, she's asleep she's or been, she's falling she's asleep. Been, she's at been at an earlier point in the show, she was given a... I, I'm guessing it was a sedative sort, or a tranquilizer yeah. or something to relax her. Because um, obviously she's upset over the death of her daughter, so um, so it's it's hard to tell. Aiden Aiden seemed to think there was more of a link here. With well, again, drugs, it's yeah, it's more just technology and how humans are. I wouldn't say it's silence. technology. It's not. Well, technology. yeah, chemicals are a human technology. It's it's a non. No, not. It's a Water's non-natural. A chemical. Oh, shut up. Yes, of course, <laughs> Lindsay. I'm just saying. Okay. Drugs and and stuff okay, being injected. But, but, okay, yeah. but the drugs are not. I wouldn't argue that that's a technology, an impact of technology. Okay. It's, it's but it is an intrusion of something that's not necessarily no, yeah, natural. And yeah. but it's it's unclear at this point if that's worn off. I would assume it has. Yeah. And she's just trying to get to sleep on her couch, trying to to. But then there's a shot up the hall of of up the stairs again from the first thing that yeah. still freaks me out, and and then she bolts upright and she screams and in the mirror. Well, just wait okay. because she's she it's intercut with an image of, of um, someone grabbing grabbing the rock under which Donna and James have put the half heart necklace that James had. Yeah. And removing the necklace. So, With a gloved hand. Yes. You don't really so know what who it is. is this person and how does, how is she, she seeing this? Is she seeing or that? Is she is seeing it, something else? Like yes. you don't really know. And uh, and then right before that you see Truman and, and uh, what's her name? Josie. Josie. Yeah. God, I really am terrible with names. Yeah. Uh, you see them meeting up for the first time and they say, oh, 24 hours ago it, was about it happened. 24 hours yeah. 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 And, and, and Josie's that's when all these. And scared and, and yeah. there's, you know, she's, you know. It's, it's, it's a scary climax to a, to that. Because things have been because things have been pretty slow to this point. There was, I mean, there was a fight, but it wasn't horror. And then at the end, you get this this like moment a of jolt horror, moment, right? Yeah, and, and it's based purely on, around yeah, uh, Bobby like, barking. 
starts it off. It's it's a loud intrusive noise, and yeah. then and then bookended with Sarah's scream at the end, which is terrifying. It's a, yeah. it's a, she has a very powerful scream, and, and the way it's filmed is it's just it, she's looking right into the camera. Well, and almost. She, it's not well, really, yeah, but, yeah, she's looking past it, but but you can uh, you get to see her full expression of yeah, terror and. Yeah. And it's so visceral, and she does such a good job. And then there's the visual. Yeah. Mistake, so this is, is this is the other one Bob of the <laughs> yes. This is the other one of those mistakes that happened. That serendipitous mistake that, uh, similar to the the lab tech or the morgue technician earlier in in that we talked about earlier in this episode, um, when they were filming this this scene, there was a set dresser named Frank Silva who was inadvertently caught in the mirror above. The, the couch that Sarah Palmer is sitting on. And he, for whatever reason, wasn't able to get out of the shot. Um, it's not a clear image. It's kind of just, you can you can tell that it's him. Yeah, yeah you if you tell. pause it, you're like, yeah, oh yeah, there's someone there. There's somebody there. standing yeah. there. But you wouldn't know it necessarily just from looking at it. So David Lynch saw this and he was just thrilled. He's like, this is perfect. Right. We're keeping this in. Because again, it's a mirror shot. He it's, didn't really it's a, know what he was going to do with no, it. I don't, I don't think, think at that point. But but it does. It fits in with the whole, um, like, so the bad guy of the series is Bob, uh, who's which we don't find which out. Which you don't about find for out for a, a while, but, but but he's kind of like a spirit thing almost. It's it's really not clear what he is. But in any case, he you can't see him for mo- for the most part. He he's hidden. His true form. His is true hidden. form is hidden, and so mirrors play a very important role in right. discovering that. And the first time you see him is in this mirror. Yes, because Frank Silva, who again was just a set dresser with I don't think he had any acting experience. No, he didn't. He was so he just a guy. he he was he started playing this role of of Bob in yeah. in the later episodes. And, great and there were there were <laughs> scenes that David Lynch filmed also, like the scene with Bob peering out from between the bars of Laura's bed. David Lynch filmed those and I think they were used in the international pilot. Yeah. But uh so obviously they're not in this pilot version but he didn't know what he was going to use that for he had no idea who this which is which is fascinating that he created this whole world he'd murdered one of his characters but he had no end point at, for the series anyway because the the, the the international pilot was a closed story there yeah. was an ending and it was solved and frank silva does play the the murderer the, in yeah. that version and he's less of a spirit, I think, in that version. Yeah, he's supposed he's to be a, a real dude. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But in this but yeah. version, he's just this nebulous figure, and you don't—he's not even in it. He's—he's no. he's just shown the, in the mirror, yeah. and and he comes back to play this masterful role. And what is what is so amazing is that Frank Silva, who passed away in I think it was 1995 or 1996, um, was apparently a sweetheart. The, the like, nicest he was guy, the yeah. Nicest guy <laughs> in the world. So uh, mm. a lot of people that I've talked to have a really hard time picturing him as this bad guy once they find out or if they've met him because he used to go to the fan um, meetups or yeah, whatever, yeah. And, and the conventions the yeah. twin peaks fest that happens and um and he was just such a sweet guy such yeah. a nice guy and and for him to play this murderer this this evil evil spirit and to have no acting training like yeah, yeah he does like, he does a really good job yeah. so it's so, really yeah. a testament to his uh yeah. If he had never gotten, I, I think yeah, the story is that there. he just he got kind of boxed in by the camera and yeah. the lights, and so just, he just kind of stood there, there. <laughs> and, and hoped that no one would see him. Yeah. But he was he was caught, and it, it was one of those, like I said, serendipitous moments that yeah, worked works. out really yeah. well. Yeah. So, and that's that's one of the cool things about Twin Peaks. A lot of it's just based on that, uh, especially where David Lynch is involved. I mean, Mark Frost sounds like he's just a he's he a writer, was, and he, he was does, the guy who made things. Uh, 
palatable, I think, to the the network. Yeah. He was a he's a great storyteller. He's he's written books. He's a novelist actually, yeah. so he's he is a very good storyteller. And he has he that fleshed out a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, but I think the the memorable the most memorable things about Twin Peaks were David Lynch creations. Like Agent Cooper is entirely a David Lynch creation, yeah. and I think that's David Lynch's approach to the show and the, the on the cu- off the cuff seat of yeah. your pants kind of uh, things that come up that yeah. he just incorporates. It's it does remind me a lot of how Agent Cooper kind of butterflies yeah. his way from idea to idea. So I think yeah. there's a lot of that that you know, yeah. it, it's it's there. Yeah, it's there, it's there for for the perusal. So yeah. So I mean, that I, takes us to the very end of yes, the episode. Yeah. Now. So um, two hours later, we yeah. have completed the episode. Um, and but we'll get back to. It. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that we've touched on here that I think we can expand on, especially yeah. all the the themes of um, you know that we've kind of that we've talked about and which are here and which just get expanded upon in, in the series. Uh, yeah. All the good versus evil, all the appearance versus reality, all the... Um, we get a, uh, a dream world and dream, dream yeah. logic starts to play much more of a role. Yeah. Uh, the secret hidden underbelly yeah. in, in American life. Yeah. It's it's all there and we'll be discussing that in, in much more detail as the Episodes in the next on. couple of weeks. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in.